Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another program of Faith in Focus here on the Voice of Islam Radio with me, Samin Rashid Chaudhry. And today we hope to have a closer look at one of the elements, fire. We have already discussed in a previous program looking at water. We looked at the importance of water, problems and issues that we face regarding water and of course the role of water in religious life as well. We looked at the concept of baptism in Christianity and holy water and we discussed the teachings on water as taught by the holy prophet of Islam, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, especially to be mindful of not wasting water and not hoarding it. And we looked at floods, including the deluge associated with no one whom be peace and many other aspects of this element that makes up so much of us and so much of the surface of the planet. Today then, staying on the theme of the elements, we hope to discover the world of fire, the role it plays in different religious ceremonies, the concept of the hellfire and various interpretations of it, as well as looking at some things regarding fire. The relationship between humankind and fire is a long and tumultuous one, filled with awe and wonder. Although we have learnt to harness the power of fire, nevertheless it is still a great force that can easily overpower. Darwin considered language and fire two of the most significant achievements of humans. Harvard biologist Richard Wrangham believes that fire is needed to fuel the organ that makes possible all the other products of culture, language included, the human brain. His theory is that there is no primitive tribe or people in the world that can exist without fire, especially, as he says, we cannot survive beyond a few months without cooked food. So joining me in the studio today is Marissa Losa. Marissa is a Spanish convert to Islam from Christianity and is currently an active member and spokesperson of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Spain. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Faith in Focus here on the Voice of Islam Radio and thank you for being a part of our programme today looking at fire. Thank you very much. Assalamu alaikum. So perhaps a good place to start would be to look at the concept of hell, which in Islam and indeed other religions has been described as a fire. So what can you tell us about the Christian viewpoint? Is it a fire in, in within the Christian tradition as well? Yes, yes, it is. And in various Christian traditions, we find that hell is described as eternal fire. Mm -hmm. In the Gospel of Matthew, uh, for example, it says that hell was originally designed for uh, Satan and his demons. And it also says in chapter 13 that it is a furnace of fire, but also that is a weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mm, that's interesting. So maybe there's more than... One aspect, aspect. Of the one of the burning, maybe there's more mm -hmm. to the fire than just burning. Mm -hmm. Now, as I understand it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, there are different words in the Bible that have been used for hell. So I came across three main words that have been translated as hell. And one of these was also a town outside Jerusalem, which apparently was a, a, a rubbish dump where people picked their way through the rubbish and where fires burned. Can you explain these words for hell? Yes, you are thinking of the word uh, Gehenna. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, this word appears only 12 times uh, in the New Testament mm-hmm. and is translated as hell. Uh, Jesus, uh, peace be upon him, used this term uh, 11 times. Mm-hmm. And this is what you were referring to as the garbage ground or, or dump outside of Jerusalem. Apart from this, the Bible uses several terms to identify the various purposes of and descriptions of hell. The common word for hell in the Old Testament is uh, shell which means uh, the grave uh, where people go when they die. In the King James Version, shell is translated uh, as hell 31 times and as a pit three times. When both saved and unsaved died, they were said to go to shell, the place of the departed dead. Uh, the, the Hebrew word shell was translated into Greek as Hades or Hades, Hades or Shell is is the place where um, is the place the Old Testament unsaved went. There is generally no concept of judgment or reward and punishment attached to Shell. In fact, in some in some books uh, of the Bible, such as um, Job, we are told that all of the dead go down to the Shell, whether good or evil, rich or poor, slave or free man. As I just mentioned, another word is Hades or Hades. If we read Luke's gospel, for example, we can see that it tells us of a rich man who went to Hades at death and was tormented in flames. The punishment of Hades is burning, separation, loneliness, conviction by memory, thirst, failing and stench. Mm. Now, these words are used in the Old Testament as well, and I suppose explain, therefore, some Jewish beliefs on hell as well. Uh, the idea of the underworld or a bottomless pit or and so on. Now, there is a difference between hell and something that is called the lake of fire. Yes, yes. If we read uh, Revelations, for example, we can see that these are sometimes seen as two different things. Mm-hmm. Hell is separate from something that is referred to as lake of fire. When the unsaved die, they go to hell. But later in the book of Revelations, it says that those in hell are given up and cast into the lake of fire. That is in Revelation 20, 14. Mm-hmm. Revelations being the last book of the Bible. Exactly, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Even though uh, they seem to be different places, the inhabitants are the same and the punishment is the same. The place of judgment for the unsaved is called the great white throne and mm-hmm. the lake of fire follows it. Everyone without Christ will enter the first enter punishment and no one who enters the first hell can escape entering the second. Some have suggested uh, this is nothing more than a metaphor to describe a place of suffering, but since the Bible uses flames to describe its torment, there is no reason to think that cause of suffering will be otherwise. Mm. I came across something um, interesting with regards to this lake of fire that is also referred to as the second death because in the Bible, death always speaks of separation and not necessarily cessation of existence. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind death is not the is not annihilation, but rather the concept of eternal separation from God. 
So physical death is the first, where a person suffers because he is separated from his loved ones, mm-hmm. and then the second death is the separation of a person from God. And I found this quite interesting because often we talk about, for example, the blind, those who are blind spiritually, mm-hmm. and you know this is a theme that we find in other faiths as well when we talk about the spiritually dead or the spiritually mm-hmm. blind. So mm-hmm. I find that quite interesting. Yes. Also, hell is described as a place of eternal retribution or eternal punishment. Speaking of the unsaved, Jesus, peace be upon him, said, "And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal." That is in Matthew twenty-five forty-six. The idea of punishment here is one of eternal duration so hell will last as long as heaven for the scriptures describe the opposite concept as everlasting punishment and life eternal mm. that is in Matthew 25:46 mm. the worst part of hell is that its inhabitants know it will never end mm. in islam hell is not eternal as you've just mentioned for some christians And for a Muslim who believes in a merciful God, it's logical thinking that hell is temporary and that there is a way where souls can make themselves righteous and possibly, if God wills, for them to enter heaven as well. In fact, the Holy Quran, which does talk about hell, fire and punishment in various places, also says in one of the last chapters, 101, it describes hell as a nursing mother. Yes. And when we read the commentaries of this portion, we find that just as a human embryo goes through different stages of development in the womb before it's born, mm-hmm. so too will guilty people pass through these different stages until their souls are spiritually cleansed. Mm-hmm. Um, so the punishment of hell is intended to make people repent and to reform, but it's, I suppose, in this way, it's also used as something that purifies because that is what heat or fire can do or something that definitely is not eternal in the same way as paradise is. Mm-hmm. That in Islam, we are told that paradise is eternal, but hell is not. not in the same way or there will come a time when hell will be empty. empty. Yes. Mm. So I was also reading an article on a website called Clarifying Christianity, which explained that really the only way to heaven was through accepting Jesus, mm-hmm. which is essentially the same as what you've mentioned before just now as well in, in the book of Revelations. But as with all other religions, there are differences and, and interpretations, and some people will take things literally and so on. So on this website, I'm not sure if it's true for all Christians, but I'm just referring to what this yes, this website was saying. And it used other Christian sources and and quotes from the Gospel of Matthew, for example, that anyone who rejects Christ is going to hell. But I found it interesting because the Pope has made some other comments on this subject as well on who will go to heaven and hell. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, For example, Pope Francis in uh, 2010 said that atheists can go to heaven too. Mm -hmm. However, he did emphasize that there is a catch. Those people must still do good. In a sense, he simply restated uh, the hope of of the church that all come to know God through his son, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. The Pope also based his um, homily on the message of Christ to his disciples taken from the Gospel of of Mark. The disciples, Pope Francis explained, were little uh, intolerant, 
closed off by the idea of possessing the truth, convinced that those who do not have the truth cannot do good. This was wrong. Jesus broadens of horizon. Pope Francis said the root of this possibility of doing good that we all have is in creation. And uh, Francis explained himself, the Lord created us in his image and likeness, and we are the image of Lord, and he does good, and all of us have this commandment uh, at heart, uh, do good and do not do evil, all of us. But Father, this is not Catholic, he cannot do good, yes, he can. The Lord has redeemed all of us, all of us with the blood of Christ, all of us, not just Catholics, everyone. Father, the atheist, even the atheist, everyone, we must meet one another doing good, but I don't believe, Father, I am atheist, but do good. We will meet one another there. Essentially, what Pope was saying there was that Christ offered himself as sacrifice for everyone. That's uh, always been a Christian belief. Mm. Now, in Islam, contrary to popular belief, some common misconceptions about Islam, and one of the misconceptions is that Muslims say that only Muslims will go to heaven. But, of course, if we look at Islam as the summit, if you like, the Holy Prophet of Islam, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is the last in the line of law-bearing prophets. Mm -hmm. And because the belief in the oneness of God means that all things come from him, all of creation, including all religious texts and prophets. So it makes sense that in Islam, salvation is not only for Muslims. So similar to what the Pope has been saying, his comments as well. Mm -hmm. I think one of the main things is that God is the ultimate judge. So we say that God is the judge. Mm -hmm. So we are not the ones who can judge or it's not up to humans to say who will go to heaven, who will go to hell, Mm -hmm. how long you'll be in hell for or Mm -hmm. that. That's not to up to anyone to decide or Mm. to impose on someone else. So now what about this concept of purgatory in Christianity? The Catechism of the Catholic Church uh, defines purgatory as a purification, so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven, which is experienced by those who die in the God's grace and friendship but is still imperfectly purified. It notes that this final purification of the elect is entirely different from the punishment of the damned. Mm. The purification is necessary because, as the scripture teaches, nothing unclean will enter the presence of God in heaven. And while we may die with our mortal sins forgiven, there can still be many impurities in us. When we die, we undergo what is called a particular or individual judgment. We are judged instantly and receive our reward for good or for ill. We know at once what our final destiny will be. At the end of the time, when Jesus, uh, peace be upon him, returns, uh, there will come the general judgment uh, to which the Bible refers, for example, in Matthew uh, 25, 31-32. Uh, when the Son of Man comes in his glory on all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all nations, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. In this general judgment, all our sins will be publicly revealed. That's that's what it means. Mm. 
Well, thank you so much, Marissa, for taking the time to come down to the studio and to talk to us here on Faith and Focus. Thank you very much for inviting me. And uh, to share with us the concept of hell in some Christian thought. The concept of hellfire, underworld, and all these things that we have talked about, we have done so in a religious context. But of course, this idea has become part and parcel of our culture as well, and is common across many parts of the world, this idea that there is a hell and those who are bad are burning in hell. And one place where we see this concept is in Turkmenistan, where there is a gas crater called the Derwaza crater. And it's not exactly known how this crater has come about. Some people think that the story of how it was created involves what was then a Soviet expedition to explore for gas. And a Turkmen geologist claims that the borehole was set alight in 1971 after fears it was emitting a poisonous gas or poisonous gases and is now been burning for 40 years and has become a tourist spot, especially for thrill seekers, as they can stand right at the edge of this huge burning crater. So now on to some other natural wildfires. We have Afya Sami with this report. A wildfire is an unplanned, unwanted fire burning in a natural area such as a forest, grassland or prairie. As building development expands into these areas, homes and businesses may be situated in or near areas susceptible to wildfires. Wildfires can cause death or injury to people and animals, damage or destroy structures and disrupt community services, including transportation, gas, power, communications and other services. The impact may cover large areas with extensive burning, embers travelling more than a mile away from the wildfire itself and smoke causing health issues for people far away from the fire. Wildfires damage watersheds leave areas prone to flooding and mudslides for many years. On average, more than 100,000 wildfires, also called wildland fires or forest fires, clear 4 million to 5 million acres of land in the US every year. A wildfire moves at speeds of up to 14 miles an hour. There are three conditions that need to be present in order for a wildfire to burn, which firefighters refer to as the fire triangle, fuel, oxygen and a heat source. Fuel is any flammable material surrounding a fire, including trees, grasses, brush, even homes. The greater the fuel load, the more intense the fire. Air supplies the oxygen a fire needs to burn. Heat sources help spark the wildfire and bring fuel to temperatures hot enough to ignite. Lightning, burning campfires or cigarettes, hot winds and even the sun can all provide sufficient heat to spark a wildfire. Although four out of five wildfires are started by people, nature is usually more than happy to help fan the flames. In recent years, although there is more awareness and precautions by those living in areas prone to wildfires, still the problem persists. Wildfires in Canada of 2014 and 2016 caused approximately $56.1 million and $3.58 billion of damage respectively. The cause of wildfires for that of 2016 was determined as human cause, though the exact nature of it is not known. In the year 2017, Canada has suffered from multiple wildfires, some of the worst seen for decades. 
According to The Independent, British Columbia has suffered the worst of the damage with more than 860 wildfires this summer, of which at least 138 are still set to be burning. An estimated 4,910 square kilometres have burned to the ground since the beginning of April, according to Canadian news sources making this summer the worst for wildfire destruction in 60 years. The scale of the fire and smoke that it has caused is so much that it can be seen from space. Causes are said to be a combination of dry weather, lightning strikes and man-made causes. In 2016, wildfires in Fort McMurray displaced up to 88,000 people. In the 2017, the number of people evacuated from their homes in British Columbia had reached 39,000 while the fires continued and expected to worsen. Canada was not the only place to witness wildfires in 2017. The US, Greenland, France and Portugal are all amongst those countries that have battled with wildfires while fire bans were put in place in parts of Australia due to the high spring temperatures. Rural fire crews contended with more than 100 places across the state on Tuesday, including in the Royal National Park. At one point there were 110 active fires. In the US, California fires began in early 2017. By April, a total of 6,744 fires have burned 731,260 acres. According to the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection, and this continued throughout the summer, months as well, forcing thousands to flee. Witnesses have come forward regarding some fires, saying that they were started intentionally. A fire burning over 30,000 acres in the Columbia River Gorge was started by a teenager setting off fireworks on a forest trail. The fire, known as the Eagle Creek Fire, closed miles of Interstate 84 between the towns of Trowdale and Hood River and crossed the Columbia River too. Meanwhile, in France, two teenagers were accused of starting a wildfire that devastated parts of southeast France and Corsica in July of 2017. About 230 firefighters were called to battle with the fire that damaged houses and injured a first responder. Firefighters are called in the event of a fire. Not so in Greenland, where in the summer of 2017 an unusually large fire broke out that burned for weeks. The wildfire was first spotted by satellites on 31st July and last photographed on 16 August when it was still growing. It was burning about 40 miles from the Greenland ice sheet. America's National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration said the blaze posed a risk to Greenland's ice sheet because falling soot turns the surface of the sheet black, which can make it melt faster. Whilst firefighters are usually the heroes, in Sicily, 15 volunteer firefighters were accused of starting or reporting non-existent fires in a bonus payment scam. Police in Ragusa province in the south of the Mediterranean island said the fire department became suspicious when it emerged that the auxiliary brigade had responded to 120 incidents compared with just 40 tackled by other volunteer teams over the same period. Auxiliary firefighters are paid £9 an hour for putting out fires. 
Thank you for your report on fires in nature. Now, joining me in the studio is Aisha Malik, who is a mother of two and an eye surgeon. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Faith and Focus. Wa alaikum salam. And thank you for being part of today's programme on fire. Now, earlier we were talking to Marissa about the concept of hellfire in the Christian faith. And aside from hell, there is also the use and mention of fire in other contexts as well, in different religions, be it in scripture or in their religious practices. And for example, if thinking about the Old or New Testaments, there are references in the Old Testament for Moses, on whom be peace, and the burning bush to a reference to a fire and this is when according to the story in the book of exodus prophet moses on whom be peace is tending to a flock of sheep when he sees a bush that is burning um, but it's not consumed and he goes near it and according to the story he goes near it and he hears god talk to him and give him his mission and there are some alternative theories on this burning bush for example some scientists say that it was a gas plant or vegetation which emits a flammable substance and others claim the fire was caused by a volcanic vent near the bush and still others say it was merely a plant with red flowers and there was no fire at all and nevertheless there is the use of fire to get the attention of prophet moses and it does hold importance in his story yes um, and there are other instances in faith to where fire has been mentioned either in stories found in the Holy Scriptures or in traditions. In the Holy Quran too, for example, fire is, is not only mentioned as hell. You mentioned Moses on whom be peace. In the Holy Quran, there's mention of another prophet, often called the patriarch of the three monotheistic faiths. Prophet Abraham also has an account to do with fire. And it says in the Holy Quran that in order to punish Prophet Abraham on whom be peace, his enemies decided to throw him into a fire. This story is in the Holy Quran, but also in the Christian and Jewish traditions as well. And we find this account in chapter 21 of the Quran, where it says, and I quote, We said, turn cold, O fire, and be a source of peace for Abraham. We are not told of how the fire was extinguished, whether it was a storm or a hurricane, but we do know that God brought about a way in which Abraham was saved from the fire. Yes, and... One of the things that was mentioned there was the idea of fire being extreme enmity. Mm-hmm. Fire is used for jealousy as well. And often we refer to this as a fire because of the way jealousy too can consume someone when it gets so extreme. And some people will go to great lengths to acquire something because they're jealous of someone who has the same. Mm, and often when they have it, then they see something else and or that someone else has something and this whole cycle may begin again. Exactly. So in varying degrees, this can consume someone like a fire that is not quelled. Mm. Now, coming on to something slightly different. We mentioned earlier that fire of hell, according to the Holy Quran, is so hot that we cannot describe it. And when I was reading the commentary of the Holy Quran, it mentions that perhaps the heat of an atom bomb can give us some idea, although an incomplete idea, but some idea of the hell fire. Yes, and the fourth Khalifa of the MDA Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Tayram, may Allah have mercy on him, has explained this in his book called Revelation, Rationality, Knowledge and Truth. So I would like to share an extract with you from this book. And in fact, I've taken some paragraphs from one of the chapters in the book to give you an overview. And it is explaining chapter 104 of the Holy Quran. And I quote, 
Among the Quranic prophecies relating to events and inventions of our age, there are some which are of outstanding importance and great global significance. One such prophecy relates to the impending danger of a nuclear holocaust. This prophecy was made at a time when man could not entertain the idea of an atomic explosion by any stretch of his imagination. But as we will presently illustrate, there are certain verses of the Holy Quran which clearly speak of tiny, insignificant particles which are described as storehouses of immense energy, as though the fire of hell was locked within them. Amazing as it may seem, this is exactly what is literally described in the following verses. Woe to every backbiter, slanderer, who amasses wealth and counts it over and over. He imagines that his wealth will make him immortal. Nay, he shall surely be cast into, into the hutama. And what should make thee know what the hutama is? Allah's fire as preserved fuel, which will leap suddenly onto the hearts. It is locked up in outstretched pillars to be used against them. Authentic Arabic lexicons describe Hudama as, as possessing two root meanings. First, Hathama, which means to pound or pulverize into extremely small particles. And the second, Hitma, which means the smallest insignificant particle. Thus, Hitma is the result obtained by breaking something down to its smallest constituents. The two meanings just mentioned can rightly be applied to any extremely minute particle which has reached the limits of its divisible potential. As the concept of the atom had not been born 1400 years ago, the nearest substitute to it could only be Hutama, which also sounds intriguingly close to an atom. Explaining the word Hutama, the Holy Quran speaks of a blazing fire built within it and confined in extended columns. It goes on to declare that when man will be cast into it, this fire will directly leap upon his heart as though no intervening rib cage existed. This can only mean that this fire would be of a completely different nature, which would directly kill the heart before it could scorch the body. Wonder upon wonder is heaped in such a short space of a few simple statements. First, the declaration that the time would come when man would be cast into the smallest particle, then the description of the smallest particle and what it contains. It contains a type of fire which is kept confined in some tiny vessels which could appear like extended columns. The casting of man into this minute particle does not mean that a single man will be cast into it. Man is mentioned as a generic name, and the casting indicates his subjection to that affliction to which he will be doomed. This has only become conceivable in the contemporary age, when man has discovered the secret of the atoms and the immense stores of energy which they contain. This is the age when the fire contained in the smallest particles leaps out and engulfs large areas extending to thousands of square miles. Everything that lies within its range is engulfed, man and all. Hence, what seemed so unrealistic 1400 years ago has become a commonplace reality which even young children can understand. 
Unless one is familiar with the scientific description of how an atomic explosion takes place and what changes are brought about within the nuclear mass, one cannot fully comprehend the meaning of the Quranic expression of extended columns. Nuclear experts describe the state of a critical mass which is about to explode as something elongating and pulsating with immense pressure built within it. This pressure is caused by the elongation of the nuclei before they burst, and in that process, an element of high atomic weight is split into two elements of lesser atomic weight. The sum total of the atomic weight of the newly formed elements is less than the atomic weight of the original parent element, normally referred to as a heavy metal. The small portion of the atomic weight which is lost in this process is turned into energy. This is not only mod the model of a nuclear bomb, but we have chosen this simple one to describe the process of the extending columns. Turning to the issue of how this fire could leap directly upon the hearts, the scientific description is given below. At the instant of explosion, large quantities of gamma rays, neutrons and x-rays are immediately released. The x-rays raise the temperature immediately to meteoric heights, creating a great ball of fire rising rapidly, rising the extremely hot atomic blast. This is the canopy of fire like a huge mushroom which is seen from far and wide. The x-rays themselves also travel sideways in all directions along with the neutrons causing immense heat which burns everything on its way. The speed at which this heat front moves is as many times the speed of sound, which also creates shock waves. But much faster and more penetrating than this are the gamma rays, which outpace the heat front by leaping forward at the speed of light. They are so immensely vibrant that by the sheer force of their vibration they strike the heart's dead. So death is not caused by the intense heat generated by the x-rays, but by the tremendous energy of the gamma rays, which inflicts instantaneous death. This is exactly how the Holy Quran describes it. Thank you, Aisha, for that extract, looking at the verses of the Holy Quran and explaining its deeper meanings. In one of his articles that was published in the early 90s in the Review of Religions magazine, the fourth Khalifa, Hazamirza Tahir Ahmad, may Allah have mercy on his soul, talks about divine punishments and the nature of these divine punishments. And often in the past, people from all religions and none explain natural disasters as a sort of punishment. And in this article, he listed some of some things that are classed as divine punishments, such as uh, continuous rain, floods, earthquakes, famine, drought, and so on. And also we have accounts in religious scripture, for example, with the flood of Noah, that's often seen as a divine punishment, or thunderstorms and insects at the time of Prophet Moses, that's seen as a divine punishment. But what is interesting in this article, the author points out, is that these all these punishments have to do with earth, wind and water, so three of the four elements. Um, and fire, the fourth element, or the, 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 the topic of today, so fire has not been recorded as a means of divine punishment of a people. Um, and it, it is, for example, um, 
recorded, as we discussed, for punishment for individuals, as as was uh, the case of Prophet Abraham, on whom be peace, um, but not of a people in the way that the flood was, perhaps, or perhaps some of the other natural disasters. Um, but it is something um, that is mentioned as a punishment. And then he goes on to mention these verses that we've just heard from and how in the future fire will possibly be used as a means of punishment or chastisement as the other elements have been in the past. And it's a very detailed discussion and the whole concept of divine punishment and natural disasters, it's not as simplistic as I've explained, but it's a very interesting article. Definitely a very good read talking about how in the future maybe, as, as you've pointed out, fire might be one of the elements that could be used. Well, I read from the book Revelation, Rationality, Knowledge and Truth on nuclear war and fire mentioned in this way in the Holy Quran. However, another verse of the Holy Quran, also to do with fire, talks about how jinn is created from fire. And actually, in this same book, this idea of the creation of jinn has also been dealt with. And essentially what it talks about is that the meaning of the word jinn is anything which has the connotation of concealment or invisibility, seclusion, a sense of remoteness. So it has the connotation of thick shades and dark shadows or anything which lies beyond the reach of common sight or is invisible to the naked eye, which could well be described by this word. So the word jinn has been used for snakes that live a secluded life in rocks and holes and also for people who live in inaccessible places such as mountains. Mm. There is a tradition of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, where he tells his followers that the jinn feed on dung and dead animals. And as there was no concept of bacteria or viruses in Arabia at this time and no knowledge of them, using the word jinn was perhaps the only way to explain this idea to his followers. Yes, and um, when we read the Holy Quran, we're also told that jinn is made from fire. And there have been many studies and many scientists that which are in agreement that bacteria and early organisms have taken their energy from heat or from lightning or from UV radiation. Mm. That's so fascinating that this was already laid out in the Holy Quran so many hundreds of years ago. Now, when we think about the role of fire in worship and other faiths, for me, perhaps the first thing that comes to mind is the religion of Zoroastrianism, an ancient religion observed in what we call modern-day Iran, mostly in modern-day Iran. And this is often associated with fire. Well, it is a common misconception that people who follow this religion are fire worshippers. Fire does have importance for them and they do worship in what we call fire temples, but actually fire for Zoroastrians is a symbol of God's light and they don't actually worship the fire. They do worship the one God and prayers are said facing the sun, a fire or another source of light representing their word for God, which is Ahura Mazda or God's divine light and energy. And Purification is also strongly emphasized in Zoroastrian rituals and they focus on keeping their minds and bodies and environments pure in a quest to defeat evil, if you like. And fire is seen as the supreme symbol of purity and sacred fires are maintained in fire temples. And these, as I said, they represent the light of God as well as the illuminated mind 
that are never extinguished. So no Zoroastrian ritual or ceremony is performed without the presence of a fire. And when I think of this, it reminds me of the association that Muslims do have, often describing fasting as a fire, because we Muslims believe or say that fasting is a means of purification as well. So in that way, we use the term in the way that Zoroastrians believe that fire is purifying or they're very centered on this idea of purification. So too is fasting. Yes. In fact, in Arabia, members of the Quraysh tribe, the tribe to which the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, also belonged to, would, would often retreat in the month of Ramadan to Mount Hira. The word Ramadan is from Ramada. They say Ramada al-Salimu. In other words, the insides of the man, fasting becomes very hot with thirst. And the month is so named because fasting in this month produces heat and burning due to the thirst. Also, worship in this month burns away the traces of sin in man. And the, during the month of fasting, we increase our devotion to God, increase in worship and remembrance of him. And this in turn produces our warmth of love for the creator and his created beings. So in this way, too, we can see that fire and heat, these are elements which are used to show to us the warming to God and to his creation. Mm, so we see that it's a similar sort of idea as the concept of hell, in fact, in Islam, is that it's a fire that can purify. In this way, fasting has many benefits, spiritual and physical, on the human body and the human soul. Yes, and, and now there's been many scientific studies that support the great benefits of fasting. Many people who are interested in their health use fasting now for the physical benefits and others also use it as an alternative forms of therapy. It does encourage discipline, it, it stops excessive consumption and it can also help in some cases to fight against addiction to, to things such as alcohol. So there are quite a number of medical benefits that fasting has on your body. Mm. Now in some religions and religious practices fire plays a part. For example, if we look at the Hindu marriage ceremony, it's performed around a fire where sacrifice fire is lit and oblations or offerings to God are offered to the fire. And part of this ritual symbolizes the selflessness that is required to run a family home. So when we talk about the, the marriage ceremony, that's the, some of the things when they give their offerings or oblations to the fire, they repeat things that along the lines of this is not for me or this is bigger than me. So it's more reminding them that they have to this sort of selflessness that they need now when they're entering a marriage. And also, for example, with lighting of candles in church and at vigils, often we have seen in the wake of recent attacks, people light ca uh, candles for the deceased or as a symbol of perhaps a hope over evil acts. Is there something similar in Islam? No, not, not at all. Because in Islam, there's no real religious practice that is centered on fire. And certainly no worship or acts of worship or ceremonies take place, which are fire as part of them in the same way as you mentioned in the Hindu marriage ceremony or in churches when you're lighting candles. Vigils and lighting of candles are not purely religious now anyway, and there are many people who partake in these activities. It has become a natural response for many and definitely a symbol as well. Mm. Um, but if we look at things purely in religious terms or not in cultural, then real fire in this sense does not play a part. Though as we've seen in the religious scripture, the Holy Quran for example, does talk of fire, but in different contexts. Mm. So let's just quickly, if we have time, look at something else to do with fire, and that is uh, mythical creatures. 
In the Chinese calendar, the dragon is probably the most special and favoured animal. And people who are born in the year of the dragon, the last of which was 2012, are said to be very lucky. And dragons are, of course, legendary creatures often depicted with scales and breathing fire. And it reminded me of the, the Jal or the Antichrist, which has been described as having fire too. Yes, this is a huge topic within itself. Uh, but in Islam, in light of Adis, the Antichrist or the Dajjal was described as a creature having fire. And amongst other traits, as well such as the people will sit in its belly and it will have arms that are very long and so on. And actually, this is not something mystical creature like the dragon, but it refers to an age that we have seen with modern inventions such as a stream train that ran with coal and steam and connected with so many people and in its own way was part of the revolution. And the arms could refer simply to the huge wings of a plane and the people that sit inside where they are transported from one place to another across hundreds and thousands of miles away. Mm. Well, thank you so much for an interesting discussion. We heard a report earlier on fires that occur in nature, either naturally or on such a large scale that have a huge impact on human activity, not to mention the landscape. In the history of London, for example, we have the Great Fire of London of 1666, which started on Sunday the 2nd of September 1666 in a baker's shop belonging to Thomas Farriner. Farriner's bakery was situated in Pudding Lane. The fire spread quickly down Pudding Lane and carried on down Fish Hill and towards the Thames. It swept through the city, destroying many buildings, including over 13,000 houses, 87 parish churches, the Royal Exchange, Guildhall and St Paul's Cathedral. Although the verified death toll was only six people, it is unknown how many people died in this Great Fire of London because many more died through indirect causes. In 1666, there was no organised fire brigade. Firefighting was very basic with little skill or knowledge involved. Leather buckets, axes and water squirts were used to fight the fire but had little effect. More recently, another great fire with tragic consequences in London is that of Grenfell Tower in the summer of 2017. This tall tower block caught fire late at night. It is said the residents were told to stay inside as the building had fire safety features that were supposed to keep them safe. However, the fire proved to be too big a force and quickly turned into a blazing inferno. Many residents, now trapped inside, perished in the fire and the death toll is still not known. The extreme temperatures have made it difficult to identify some of the victims. A lot of anger and issues have been raised in the wake of this fire, particularly on how the residents have been treated in the past, with some authorities ignoring their safety concerns, to how they are being treated now with rehousing and rebuilding their lives. The survivors tell stories of how they managed to escape with people knocking on doors to tell them to get out, not heeding the warning to stay inside, not believing the rumours that helicopters would come to rescue them. Others watched outside, helpless, as the fire spread and consumed flats and families one by one. The Ahmadiyya Muslim community, like many others, went to help the victims of this tragedy, donated items and money and provided food in such a distressing time. We pray for all the victims, those who survived and those who lost their lives in this fire. 
And this is a good opportunity to thank all our well-wishers and those who gave their support after the fire here at Battle for Mosque a few years ago, where our studios are situated. By the grace of Allah, no one was seriously injured during that fire, and His Holiness said in the Friday sermon that followed, we will build something better than before, God willing. That's all we have time for here on Faith in Focus on the Voice of Islam Radio and our programme on fire. Thank you to my guests, Marissa Losa and Aisha Malik, and for Afia Sami for the reports. This programme has been written and researched by myself and produced by Mrs. Sharmin Bud for Voice of Islam Radio.